When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Rogers, go. Way to save the season, the throw. Fire! Welcome, everybody. Lightning Round Podcast is here. It's After Hours. Jamie, Craig, Garrett, we're all here to talk about some things. Uh, And um, uh, truth be told, I didn't even know where to start. Um, I didn't even know where to go from here. Usually it's a pretty easy jumping off point. There's something that sticks out. There's a big headline. Uh, Today I had a harder time latching onto that headline because these weeks have kind of rolled into disappointment after disappointment. But I think the first place to start, and uh, Jamie, of course, uh, led us into this, is the defense. So Travis Kelsey, career day in the first half. Um, He ended up going for 179 today on 12 catches. Mahomes had 424 yards and four touchdowns. He did have the one interception. But, man, this defense – played very soft today and it felt like rush for drop everybody back. Uh, what did I call I called it the car lot cushion or it's a, it's <laughs> yeah. still pending, but that, uh, that deep uh, zone that they're playing and that cushion they're playing at the sticks uh, did not work today. Yeah. I think there's a lot of things to be concerned about with the defense. And I saw some people in the, in the chat talking about how the defense held up in the second half and, and the offense shit the bed. And that is true, but, the defense put them in a lot of bad positions in the first half. And basically nothing about this game plan made sense to me. Um, they Craig mentioned before we came on, it seemed like they were in quarters regardless of the down and distance. Um, just playing soft zone, 10, 12, 15-yard cushions. Uh, Kelsey running free and wild through the middle of the defense, 10, 15 yards downfield, just basically allowed to run to a spot sit down and catch the ball, turn and run with it. Uh, I mean, there were way too many plays where he's catching the ball and there's nobody within five or 10 yards of him. I mean, it was bad. It was almost as if they didn't watch tape on this defense. 
because this defense was not creating explosive play, or this, I'm sorry, this offense was not creating explosive plays for the chiefs for, through the first six games. Um, Rice was having a hard time making plays. Sky Moore was not productive. They just lost their most productive receiver in Justin Wilson, who didn't play today. Um, this this team, this offense screamed press because they were not creating explosive plays. They were not making plays downfield at all. Uh, they had to get up in these guys' faces and beat them up and make them earn their way down the field. They didn't do any of that. They just dropped back and let them catch the ball. And uh, I'm just wondering what they did to prepare this week. The, it was better in the second half, but what they did in the first half was completely unacceptable. It just screamed not prepared. It was like they thought they were still defending uh, Tyreek Hill, and they didn't watch any film on this team. So pretty alarming for me that a defensive head coach put that game plan together, and that's what they thought was going to win them this game. And it was Justin Watson. I just wanted Justin to... Watson. My yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah, I knew I knew where you were going, but I just I had to look it up because I knew that didn't sound right. But yeah, yeah, he wasn't even there today. Greg. Uh, so I'm start off with some good news. It looks like I'm going to win my fantasy matchup this week. So nice. Really nice. happy about that, man. Um, that's that's good for one person yeah. and the and the yeah. only person here and watching that cares about that. But yeah, go ahead. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, again, I have to find my victories where I can because apparently for the team, no one cares good. about your fantasy team, Craig. <laughs> no, absolutely. no one but me. That's fine. I accept that. Again, um, I find my joy where I can because this team is not supplying it for me. So. Uh, with that being said, defensively, this is a joke. Uh, they have one offensive weapon, primarily. Uh, again, Jamie already mentioned it. There's no Tyreek Hill. Why are you defending uh, the deep portions of the field as if you're afraid to get beat deep when the primary weapon is utilized underneath, up the seams? They hardly use them on the outside at all. But the fact that you went more than a half without making an adjustment to even put any any priority you did not make him a priority you decided that you were going to wait until what the fourth quarter to start double teaming him um there was no resources allocated towards the main threat in the passing game let's give the running game props run defense has been very good so far this season it was something that was an achilles heel but you know what makes absolutely no sense it's the fact that this defense is designed to stop explosive plays and it invites the run. Now it's pretty good at stopping the run, and all it does is give up explosive plays. So nothing about this makes sense whatsoever. And the fact that the adjustments don't seem to come until it's pretty much too late, and then it's like you, you plug one hole and another one shows itself. So you can go a half where the defense isn't playing all that well, and the offense looks okay. They're at least making a game out of it, and then it flips on its head. But if we're just focusing primarily on the defense – I'm through with this whole Brandon Staley being a defensive genius thing. I mean, I've been there. I just didn't vocalize it the way that I really and truly feel it. I'm over Brandon Staley defensively. Uh, our scheme does not work because it doesn't fit the players that play it. And he is dead set on allowing these soft cushions and inviting teams to convert on third down, regardless as to the distance. It can be third and two. They're still playing five to seven yard cushions, two or three yards beyond the actual sticks hey, go ahead, catch a, a hitch route and turn around and already be at the sticks and keep this drive going. Uh, they're depending on four rushers to get home, and I think they really relied heavily on those stunts and twists that have been working in past weeks, and the Chiefs were ready for it. So when they decided they were going to blitz, the blitzes weren't getting home, and you were just leaving these craters open in the middle of the field. Patrick Holmes would moonwalk two or three steps and just throw the ball to a crosser on, on a shallow crosser or someone – in the middle of the field where, you know, wherever the blitz had been vacated, Andy Reed put on a coaching clinic against Brandon Staley. And it's something that we've seen year after year after year now for three years straight. And there've been virtually no real improvements. When we see this team play against lesser talent, uh, they play down to that level. When they play the elites, then they get embarrassed. And even though those scores don't look all that bad and all these one score games, because of course today is different. We didn't deal with that today, but it was still a clinic. Andy Reid had everything he needed ready for Brandon Staley because clearly Andy Reid understands what it takes to beat this defense and scheme for it. Whereas Brandon Staley just rolled in with what he typically does and assumed that, I don't know, something was going to be different this game. 
so again, I'll give props to the run defense because it wasn't a total wash with that regard. Great on them because they fixed that. But as far as the defensive side of the ball, they don't have the guys to run the type of defense that they need to run or that they're trying to run. And they don't have a head coach that's apparently smart enough to recognize it and make the adjustments. So rush defense. Yeah. I mean, they gave up 32 yards to Pecco, which are, uh, which was their leading rusher, their biggest run on the day, which was by Patrick Mahomes, where they did that picket fence defense on third and long. And they ran everybody at the sticks on third down and he ran for 23. That was, uh, the biggest game today. And, um, while, uh, the run defense was good. Everything else, I mean, just was terrible. I mean, I know Travis Kelsey's going to get his, but 179 yards, uh, having the most in a first half ever in his career or whatever that stat was today. I mean, they just, they had no idea what they were going to do to him. They left the, uh, middle of the field wide open. Uh, Michael Davis again is playing, you know, 10 to 12 yards off. There was a great, uh, comment that I will have to find. Uh, about the cushion, but um, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, here it is. Let's call it the whoopee cushion. That's the one. <laughs> that is incredible, James. Great on you. Um, but uh, yeah, it was. I mean, there it just didn't. It felt like to me that Staley is like, we've got Justin Herbert and everything else is going to take care of itself. And now Herbert just isn't playing good. It, you know, the first half was pretty evenly matched. I mean, they went down, Chargers went down seven. The Chiefs ended up scoring on that last drive before half. They were in a, a leg race there. They were pretty evenly matched throughout that first half. Then the second half, Reed shut the door and they had the Chargers punted three times and Herbert threw two interceptions. They scored zero points and all Mahomes needed to do was just cash in one more time. And they did. And they were able to get the touchdown late and, and win that game. It just, there wasn't a good game plan today. Um, I, I don't feel like Staley is doing much now other than Justin Herbert is going to carry us this season. And then everything else is just kind of, I guess, figure itself out. And it, it just hasn't this season and it's not going to. And now I think, which Jamie mentioned uh, in the discord is we are, and on text is we got to have a, Serious conversation about Justin Herbert going forward. Yeah, I think we do. I think there are some red flags here that are popping up. Um, not to say that some of these things can't be coached, but it seems like we've reached a point where the league has seen enough film on Justin Herbert that they understand what he struggles with. And he is not progressing past the things that he struggles with. Uh, we're seeing Justin Herbert look very jittery in the pocket for the majority of the last three games. Um, he is staring receivers down. He is not throwing, he's not anticipating guys getting open. He's not anticipating holes in the defense at all. He is waiting for receivers to come open before he throws the ball. Uh, and even then he's double and triple pumping, not trusting his eyes and not getting the ball out, which is allowing defenders a chance to drive on the football. Uh, he's missing throws that should be gimmies throws that you don't expect him to miss. He's sailing balls. Uh, he's starting to short hop deep outs and intermediate outs. Uh, the footwork is breaking down and he's looking more like the guy that we thought we were getting when he was drafted than what we had the last couple of years. So, and I don't know how much of it is him. I don't know how much of it is just the way he's being coached, but for all the physical gifts that he has right now, and they are many and they are abundant. Uh, the, I, I don't want to say mental side because I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like I'm calling him stupid, but that side of the game where he is seeing and understanding and anticipating things is not there. And if anything, it is regressing. Um, and it's, it's causing problems because he's starting to force throws. He's taking sacks. He shouldn't take. Uh, he's just not seeing the field well at all. And outside of the Minnesota game, it's been a pretty common theme for the majority of this season. And the big difference in the Minnesota game was they blitzed the shit out of him and the middle of the field was wide open. Mm -hmm. And for the most part this year, he has not had that. So I think it's time to start asking if what they're teaching him and if this, if this scheme works for him and what they need to do to help elevate him to the next level, because whatever's going on in that lock in that room in the meetings and on the practice field is not working because he is not progressing 
at the at best he's plateaued, but I think in a lot of ways he's regressing. It looks like he's playing with anxiety. Um, he's super uncomfortable, and he looks like he's anticipating pressure before he even gets home. And he's seen a bunch of it these last few weeks, especially um, up the middle of the offense. And I cannot, I cannot overstate this. They miss Corey Lindsley badly. And I think it's affecting him the most because he has no level of trust in the offensive line on anything that's beyond the three-step drop. And he's not doing a whole lot of three-step and get the ball out. I thought that the fix for this was to come out and run a little bit more quick game and maybe spread uh, the Chiefs out. But didn't seem like that was part of the game plan. They were running still a bunch of condensed sets um, with these really tight splits for the wide receivers. And even then, those routes were taking a really long time to develop. When you're talking about, you know, those intermediate crossers, um, some of those deep posts and corner routes, you can't expect for those to be completed regularly when there's pressure in his face as often as he's been seeing it. And on some of his drops, I also notice he's starting to drift in the direction opposite of where he thinks the pressure is coming from. That's a problem because he's not even sitting in the pocket as if it's designed. He's almost creating pressure where it doesn't exist for himself because he's anticipating it. And so in some ways he's a little broken and they have to get their handle on that as quickly as possible. And that is a mental thing, not to say he's dumb, but it's just in his head. And so he's seeing things that aren't quite there. His touch on the ball is all but disappeared. If he's not lasering it, then the ball's not getting where it needs to get to. Um, and in some instances, I don't know if it's coming out wrong or, and I mentioned this before, I think I might've said it in the discord. I know that thing with his um, offhand, the, the being taped up doesn't necessarily affect his throwing motion. What I do think it affects though is quarterbacks and Herbert does this. They have a tendency to spin the ball before they throw it. Like as they're setting up in their drops, I would imagine it's very difficult to do that with a splint and a glove on. So you have to change that up and something as simple as that, may affect your level of comfortability throwing the ball because it's routine. Um, so I'm not making excuses for him because there are things that he needs to be able to overcome. I just think it's less about suddenly he's just not very good and it's a combination of things, but it's things that he's going to have to figure out how to get over because I don't know anything about where Corey Lindsley currently stands. There's a very good chance that for all we know, he may not come back and then you're just going to have to figure it out without him. But then that also comes down to coaching and being able to put him in more advantageous situations. The running game got going. I appreciate the fact that they were at least balanced because early on, it seemed like the run game wasn't going to work very well, but they were able to get things going as the game went along. Mm -hmm. So you were helping him out in that regard, because ideally the run game's going, it should aid in the passing game and your ability to do play action. Well, great. The problem then is guys aren't getting open and you're still getting pressure because Steve Spagnuolo, Steve Spagnuolo is an outstanding defensive coordinator, and he designs these blitzes up in his sleep. And he understands how to counteract what the Chargers want to do. He understood their game plan, and he blitzed on – he didn't wait until third to always do it. He did it on the downs when he knew play action was coming or where um, Herbert was going to uh, boot out. He would send blitzes from the side that Herbert was booting to. So that just goes to show you when we're talking about coaching clinics and guys going in there and doing their homework before these games. On one side of the field, you saw two coaches that were very well uh, in their bag about what needed to happen for this game. And on the other side, just looked at guys who clearly either weren't prepared or came into the game and weren't able to make adjustments. So I hate this for Herbert. And he's going to continue to get this criticism that I know a lot of us out there hate to hear because we believe in him and think he's a great player. But there's not a whole lot you can do to defend him right now. He's playing poorly, and we just kind of got to eat it. Yeah, it's hard because there's a you do want to make excuses. I mean, ha not having Lindsley there, I mean, we saw what what a field general Lindsley was last year when he was out, and then when he came back, what a different player not only Herbert was, but a different team and offense it was with Lindsley. And uh, we know Eckler's not a hundred percent. That hand is definitely bothering him. I know. I know. There's been so much talk about it, you know, not being an issue. It's the offhand and all that other stuff, but the way in which he's having to reach around and do the, uh, uh, pause, uh, it, the way he has to uh, go out and, uh, <laughs> hand that ball off with his offhand now because of the split. <laughs> yeah. Walking right into that one. 
had to uh, had to extend for those handoffs. Uh, not having Mike Williams, uh, the team not being able to figure out what to do with their first round draft pick. Um, I, you know, it just they didn't have Gerald Everett first uh, part of the game today. There's so many excuses, but really, it's just not working, and it doesn't feel like there's been much of an adjustment. And I know defensively they clamped down a little bit in the second half and, and defensively they got a little bit better. They were able to double team Kelsey a little bit more, but I mean, when you, when you allow him to go off like that in the first half, I mean, it's like, it was almost too little too late at that point. There's gotta be some kind of in-game adjustments before you can sit him down in a locker room to figure it all out. It's just, it's not working. And between, coordinator to personnel all of it's just off right now and they just can't they don't have an identity they're not uh playing together there's no succinctness we don't know if this team's good or bad yet they right now they're just off and they're not winning games so i guess you can call them bad but there's just no there's no rhythm there's nothing to hang your hat on here this is just kind of a mess just a jumbled kind of mess from offense to defense um, giving up that big play on special teams, which they hadn't done all year, uh, that came back to bite them. I, you know, it just, it's all, it's all off right now, and that, that's just from coaching staff and on down, really. Yeah, I, I just think they have a big problem in that none of their highest paid stars are really producing consistently. Um, you know, Craig mentioned the pass rush earlier. He mentioned the the line games up front that were getting them home. Um, on the pass rush the last few weeks and they didn't work this week when you're paying two guys 30 million dollars each to play the edge you should be able to get home without line games and right now they're not winning a whole lot of one-on-one matchups that goes for mac and for bosa and you've got mac bosa and Tuli on the field together and they're still not getting home that's a problem uh keenan has a tendency to kind of disappear in these games at times he has not had very big games against the chiefs lately he had a couple big catches this week but overall he was not really a factor for the most part. And at times he looks like he's a little slow and old trying to turn up field and make plays with his legs after he catches short passes. <laughs> um, you know, Herbert is not, he's not carrying them the way he has in years past. Um, and it's becoming a little concerning with some of the reads he's making or isn't making. Um, they're just not getting the production they need consistently. And it's hard to win when that's happening right now. I would say we could say they're not a very good football team. Nope. They're making bad mistakes, stupid penalties for, you know, they'll play mostly clean games penalty wise, and they'll make two or three just stupid boneheaded rookie level uh, penalties in bad times, uh, you know, inopportune times to extend drives. They're just not playing good football. There's no way around it. Mm-hmm. Can it change? Sure. It can change, but that's going to require coaching and planning and game planning and, adjustments and those are things that we're just not seeing a whole lot of from week to week so i I don't know what the answer is right now i'm i'm pretty disgusted with what i'm seeing personally (laughs) um yeah they're hard to watch you know how the games are going to play out pretty much before they start um and they're just they don't seem to be addressing any of the problems so it's hard to say what to expect right now you know it it sucks i'm watching and wanting them to prove me wrong those are my expectations going into these games now. Like, show me what I think is going to happen to be wrong. And mm-hmm. that's not how you should watch a team that you believe in. <laughs> Level of hope that I have right now is very low. I mean, granted, I know what the comeback to that is. It's still a long season, but we've seen these Charger teams before. This looks just like years in the past that we've experienced. So what leads you to believe that anything's going to change? And I'm not going to pretend like I can foresee the future. Um, I know that we gave our preseason predictions on records. I'm sure those are probably a bit different now, just based on how things are. But this is not a good football team. And they're hemorrhaging offensive weapons now. And that what what really looks bad about this is you're hemorrhaging offensive weapons, and the guy you drafted in the first round you still can't use. Mm. We got a pretty good plan for Darius Davis, though. He had some nice plays today. <laughs> and this is, I mean, this is how we're all feeling. We're all checked out by the fourth quarter. We know how this ends. You know, when they punted that ball and gave the ball back to Mahomes, you knew the game was over. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what now I wanted to get to a question here. I'll start with you, Craig. What what's the main problem at this point? There's there's a lot of issues, but what's the main problem? Because this this season feels like Lynn's last year when he was here, 
McCoy's last year when he was here. Just team that should be good, ends up being bad, finishes somewhere in the middle, and we all have to suffer through it all year long, and we probably have to go through another head coach again. But what do you believe is the main problem here? It has to be, if I'm just being completely transparent and honest, it's it's the coaching. It has to start there. I mean, <clears throat> above that, we know what the issues are, you know, when you go above those, their heads. But when we're just talking about coaching in general, I can't get away from the fact that Brandon Staley is content with bumping his head against the wall defensively. And uh, seemingly, he hangs his hat or his retorts to these questions that he gets is always like, he'll exclude a truth. He omits things to buffer his specific points. And I have a problem with that because I don't care that if you're statistically rated one of the top um, three to five defenses on third down in the NFL, you're also the most penalized on third down as well. Let's not ignore things like that. Your team is undisciplined. They make stupid boneheaded mistakes and those mistakes cost you games, especially in close contests, which are pretty much all the charges play. And I think Jamie mentioned it already. In the, in the discord, this was a one score game that felt like it was at least three. And at no point did I feel confident the Chargers had an opportunity to win this whatsoever, because for some reason, and this is a, to me, again, it's a coaching thing. It doesn't feel like any phase of the game can operate and function successfully at the same time. The offense can be going and the defense is crap in the bed. And like today, you can flip it. Defense plays a little bit better in the second half. The offense goes for an offer. So I don't necessarily think like the players are who they are. We know who these guys, we know what their strengths are. We all went through all these scouting reports. We can go back and look at notes and tell you everything that they did well and where they sucked. And these guys that get paid millions of dollars to do this for a living can't seem to figure it out. And that bugs me because I get it. You feel like you are this person who has gotten to this level of success based on the work that you put in. And so you feel like you have a, a track record of success, or at least you think your methods work based on the experiences you've had in the past and the connections that you've had and you know, whose tutelage you were under. I get all of that. But where are the results? And if the results aren't showing themselves to this point, then you need to reassess and adjust. And that's where we stand right now. We have a coaching staff, specifically a head coach that is stuck in his ways and apparently has no plans to change because in his eyes, it seems like the scheme is just fine. It's just the players that aren't doing what they need to do. That, that's the impression I get every time he talks. He always seems to be referencing, you know, being in position properly, playing the right leverages, things of that nature, guys being where they have to be, but it's never really the scheme. And, you know, it, it comes down to, it's a Staley thing, and I don't know how much longer he's going to be around. I still don't see him getting canned before the end of the season. But, uh, again, being really long-winded here about it, long story less long, coaching, and specifically Brandon Staley. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. You going there too? I think it's a multi-level answer. I think coaching is a big problem. Um, and without getting into the front office... I also think maybe as fans who want this team to win, uh, we have a tendency to overstate how good some of the players on this team are. Uh, even some of the star level players on this team. Um, I, I think they're reaching a point where to a large degree, this, this roster needs a reset. Um, Keenan's getting old. Mike can't stay healthy. Eckler's probably going to be gone. Bosa's not getting home. 
Um, Mac. Mac can't get home versus one-on-one coverage. They're not getting anything out of the, the interior guys that they signed and paid big money to. Uh, they've got yeah. nothing at the second level. The secondary is terrible. Uh, the offensive line is not performing. I think a lot of the offensive line issues are fixed with a better center. I think the lack mm-hmm. of communication that they're having in the middle of the line, that they're not they're not recognizing and passing off games up front, things like that. They're not seeing blitzes. Um, I, that can be fixed with a better center, I think. But there's still issues, I think, throughout this roster. And maybe this team just isn't as talented or isn't as good as we thought they were. We keep waiting for them to take that next step. You know, we did it under McCoy. We did it under Lynn. Now we're doing it with Staley. It's by and large, a lot of the same players. So maybe they're just not that good. And they don't have the coaching to help elevate them. Yeah. I, so yeah, I think, I think all of that is true. And by the way, Staley's big remark after the game here is we need to reset after as a football team. So that reset thing is apparently going to be a big theme this week for the chargers but i um, think reset for him and reset for me mean two different things right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it would have been cool to do that during the bye week by the way but just yeah yeah well maybe i maybe even earlier than that i don't know but um yeah i mean i think it it really does come down to coaching i mean yeah we want to get into the ownership and everything and it's always going to come down to that stuff but i mean at the end of the day staley has in my mind enough talent to win games I'm not saying they're going to compete for a title this year, but they're much better than two and four in my mind. Um, now, I, I think uh, coaching has probably the biggest is probably the biggest culprit right now. I know that um, there's a lot of injuries and I know that players, <coughs> I know Jamie mentioned some players might be not be as good, but really this team is just not in any way, shape or form put in a position to win the battles of the line of scrimmage, second level win in the run game, win outside as receivers, quarterbacks not playing well. I mean, they're just not winning anywhere. And really, there's, in my mind, enough talent to win some places in football games. And this team just isn't doing that. They are just bad all the way around. And I, like I talked about earlier, it's just a mess. And the reason for that is there's no cohesion, and that's because of the coaching staff. So, I think the answer is coaching, I think is the first. And then when you trickle down to players getting too old and them maybe relying on too many players too long, which is obviously something they've done forever. I mean, there's just, there's so many answers to this. So if you have to go to main problem, the biggest culprit, we've always talked about ownership and then work your way down, but on the field right now, it's gotta be Brandon Staley. Yeah. I just think, you know, it's easy to blame the coaching. And I do think the coaching is a problem, um, a big problem right now, but I would also say that these are grown men. They're professionals. They've been playing this game their whole lives. At some point they should just be able to execute the plays they're being asked to execute. And it's easy to point at the coach and say, okay, you're not getting it done. You're out, but then the players stay. And at the end of the day, it's up to the players to make plays on the field. So it's hard for me to just draw a line in the sand at the coach when the players are making the same mistakes every week. And yes, there is an element to that that is coaching, but there is also an element to that that, hey, you guys are professionals. You've been playing this game for 25, 27, 30 years, whatever it is, and you can't tackle. You can't cover somebody. You can't catch a ball when it's thrown to you. At some point, that's got to come back to players not executing. No, I don't. I don't disagree with that at all. And I mean, I do lean on coaching super heavily because I feel like that's one of the things that are the difference between the professional and college game. You can win on college and college off talent. The separator in the NFL is coaching. It typically comes down to that. And these guys do need to be better fundamentally. I just feel like they're not put in the proper positions to execute as they should more often than not. For instance, in a perfect world, everyone's healthy. Then, yeah. I mean, I think they play okay. It's just that when something goes wrong, it's not lined up perfectly. That's when everything falls apart. And football is not, you can't realistically play football that way. You have to be able to make adjustments based on what your team is for that week. And if you're missing guys, or if you also notice that 
you know, you're going into a matchup where there is a particular weapon that you have to account for, and that is the team's main weapon. And I'm sorry, I have to keep going back to Brand Staley on this. You had one job, eliminate or at least contain Travis Kelsey, and that's probably a different game. If Marquez Valdez-Scantling beats you, then you might have to just live with that. But what you can't do is go into the game and ask your guys, specifically corners on the outside, to line up 12 yards off the ball and go make a play on a wide receiver who has at least 10 to 12 yards of runway in front of you. And then you have to break down, make the tackle beyond just allowing them to get the first down, but then stopping them from creating a big play afterwards. And you have to do that down after down after down after down. What makes them play to their best ability and most optimally is putting them in positions to succeed. And the coaching staff is failing at doing that on both sides of the ball. So there's blame to go around. The guys have to play, of course, because they're the physical talent on the field. But, man, I I can't give a pass at all to these game plans that are rolling out every week. And we can pick at them every single week. We can see with our own eyes what isn't working just from a game planning perspective. And guys having to overcome poor game planning is not something they should have to do regularly. So a lot of people saying that it's going to be a tough game next week. They play the Bears. Do they beat the Bears at home? Do we think that happens? First of all, is this still going to be a Sunday night game? I would say no. They're going to flex that out? Okay. All right. First off, no. Okay. And then do they beat the Bears? I think they do. I think they do because the Bears can't throw the ball down the field. I mean, everything is within five yards of the line of scrimmage. I think if they can stop the run and they can get out to an early lead, they should be able to win the game because I just don't think the Bears are very good. Do you think they lose this one, Craig? I think they win. I mean, no Justin Fields, so you don't have to worry about the mobile quarterback side of things. And, yeah, same as Jamie. They can't really get the ball down the field. What they're going to have to do now is, and I still don't know if they're going to do it, is as opposed to playing that soft cushion in zone, they're going to have to play up because the Bears have playmakers that can create after the catch. And um, if you're going to give them that much space to operate, then they may break you down in the open field. But I feel like um, you know, <clears throat> this is maybe potentially a get-right game for the Chargers, but I, I say that without having a, a ton of confidence in it. But I think they figure out a way to get a win. Jake has let us know that it is locked in, deadline pass, so the, it is definitely going to be Bears-Chargers Sunday night. Um, and they just beat the Raiders uh, today, but – I I agree with you guys. I think they end up getting that win. Um, Now, there was a question about the deadline. Do you think the Chargers should be seller? It's October 31st. Is it time to start selling some guys off, or are you still kind (coughs) of in C mode? Um, I think they're in kind of a gray area. Um, I they've dug themselves a hole, even though I never really expected them to win the division uh, just because they play in the same division as the chiefs. I did expect a wild card. And right now they're one and three in the AFC and they've lost to two surefire playoff teams. So there's a, there's, they have an uphill battle in terms of making the playoffs. Um, if they finish in a tie with pr- pretty much anybody, that AFC record is going to kill them. Um. So I think if if they go out and they they shit the bet against the Bears, even though they're not an AFC competitor, I would say it's time to start looking at selling people because two and five, the defense is bad. They're not effective on offense. I think I think it's time to start thinking about packing it in because they're going to have a really hard time battling back. They won't, but they should. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it does all depend on what happens here um, going into next week, because I think it's a really difficult proposition, unless some of these guys are the names you're going to be selling off uh, to start moving guys out <laughs> and having, you know, vets like Keenan and Bosa, Mac and Derwin believe that you're still in it to win. I mean, again, granted, a couple of those names could be guys that you're like putting on the block. So, you know, <laughs> but I don't. I am not convinced that the Chargers really believe that they're completely out of it. Like 
of course, there's more season to go. So I could see them justifying it to themselves within the building. Is like we got some we got a couple guys that are hurt. Same thing as always. We get some guys back. We're getting better health. We can compete. And they're not so far in the tank yet to where they should be selling, I guess, internally, as far as what they believe. I absolutely believe they should be sellers at the deadline, though. I think this is not like it's more of a retool as opposed to a rebuild. And proof in that to me is that 31-year-old Keenan Allen should not be your primary number one offensive weapon. He should be complimentary. And the fact that he is should tell you all you need to know. Um, this is not a team that, as currently constructive, is going to be very competitive, even though we see teams out there losing games that probably shouldn't, uh, like the Buffalo Bills, for instance. Mm-hmm. I mean, would you take the charges in a matchup with the Bills right now? I mean, I, I don't think that would turn out very well as things are right now. So, no. Uh, and do I think they will sell? I don't think they will. <coughs> I do also believe that they should. Yeah, yeah, they pro they probably should. I get the argument that um, being in a buyer's market right now, when you know that there's going to be a lot of turnover this off season, could make some sense. But you're probably taking on some big contracts, and I'm not sure that's going to make any sense. I also don't. I history no, we've seen they they're not going to go out and make any big trades. I mean, they did in the off season for Khalil Mack, but not for a deadline. Uh, if they're trading guys away. It's usually like late rounders. We saw JC Jackson go for a late rounder. Jeremiah Surlis go for a late rounder, but that was kind of during cuts. Dicker went for a late rounder. That was during cuts too, but it's not like they're taking any big swings and, and, and trading away any guy that could be in their mind contributors. So um, in order to be sellers, you have to, you know, look yourself in the mirror and kind of know what you have. And I don't think Telesco has that wherewithal to say, Hey, maybe we're out and we got to kind of pick it back up next year. So I say they absolutely do not do it. Quick question, though. Who would you exactly. sell, and what do you think you could actually get for them at this point? Just well, based on reach and, you know, uh, I guess production to this point. Yeah, we talked about this on uh, Roundtable, but mm-hmm. we threw out um, yeah, we threw out Bosa and Mac and um, Eckler. Eckler. Did we say Keenan? I don't think we said Keenan. No, I don't I guess, think we did. I think more so as opposed to who, because we did go over that. What you yeah, think like you what? really even get in return for them right now? I'm not sure anybody's going for more than a day three pick at this point. I, could you get a third for Bosa? Right now, I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say so. I think you could maybe get a third or fourth for Mac. Really? Somebody as yeah, uh, I do. Okay. He's been good against the run. He's had some good games rushing the, the passer lately. Um, I mean, he's expensive, but maybe the team that gets him thinks he can still play a couple more years and gives him an extension. I don't know. He's the only one that I think you really get anything for outside of maybe Keenan. Maybe there's a contender out there who needs who needs him in the slot. I no. mean, he'd, he'd make the Bills. He'd make the Chiefs a hell of a lot better. Oh, oh God. <laughs> um, he sure would. <laughs> Um, those are the only two guys that I think are really worth much. Bosa would be a salary dump. You'd be eating salary and probably taking like a late day three pick, like a seventh rounder or a sixth rounder for him. Something conditional. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so guys, we're probably at the point now where you can start sending in questions so we can, uh, uh, help you out there. Um, what else, what else we want to, uh, Touch on. Oh, what about Joshua Palmer today? Yeah, you know, I think Palmer de- deserves a ton of credit. He's yeah. a guy who he's. I think he he's taken some shit from fans. I know he takes some shit in our Discord at times. Um, <laughs> people don't think he's very good, but not Palmer, from us. Not no. from us. Um, <clears throat> but Palmer is a guy who just continues to step up, and he gets better. It seems like every week, and now he's starting to make big plays down the field. So uh, he's become, I think, a very valuable piece for them. You know, you look at a third round pick and you say, you know, in year three, you want that third round pick to be a valuable part of the rotation, maybe on the verge of elevating himself into the one or two spot in the wide receiver room. And you're comfortable with him playing multiple positions and you know, he's going to step in and produce. I think they've gotten that from Palmer. And I think they're likely to get more out of him because it just seems like his game is, is ascending in a very encouraging way. So 
he deserves a lot of credit. He's been really, really good. He was, he was in a real tough spot last year and produced. Now he's producing in a less tough spot, but in an, in a, you know, an increased role and he's been great. He's, I think he's, you'd have to say he's exceeded most people's expectations at this point. I mean, I had to stand on a hill for Palmer and I discord many times. It's not a bunch of people, just a few. They know who they are. <laughs> and, um, just he showed me a lot just like having to step into that number one position and producing like he did. I mean, he's not a number one wide receiver, but he had to play the role. And I think he was more than serviceable in that regard. And this year, you're just seeing it game by game, more and more production and showing that he can be a capable number two wide receiver. And we can go all the way back to when he was drafted and what we thought the original plan for him would be. It's kind of always to me been an either or thing because he had elements of both Keenan and Mike's game. So it just kind of looked like a safety net, not necessarily someone that they wanted to come in and play either one of their positions, specifically speaking, because he doesn't have their skill sets to their degree, but he could be a replacement in the event one had to go and paying the two what you did that was ultimately going to have to happen. Um, so I'm really happy with what I've seen from him. And we need him to continue to produce because if Keenan gets locked up, uh, you forget Quentin Johnston's even on the team. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, th th this is where we are now. It's unfortunate. And he's he's starting to take on a little bit more of that volume and production that you would see maybe from Eckler if he was healthy. So he's kind of sort of filling that gap, but in a different way. Yeah, I mean, we saw flashes of it last year when he had to be the number one wide receiver he didn't quite live up to the hype and i think that's why fans kind of soured on him uh he had some drop issues and everything last year but man that uh that weapon downfield kind of almost stepping into that what mike williams kind of gave the chargers uh kind of role now where you can hit him downfield he had over 100 yards today he had that big 60 yard reception today uh can really get down uh, get open downfield and the hands have shown to be pretty good and making some really good contested catches too. So he's been really, really impressive. And he was by far the Chargers' best receiver today. Um, and, you know, they needed to put up points. And, you know, in that first half when they did do it, uh, Joshua Palmer was one of the big reasons why they did put up so much points. So let's uh, let's get on these questions. Um, I know it's early, but Eddie Dale wants to know, is it, do the Chargers need to start considering center in round one? In round one, um, I mean, I guess it depends on. I have I haven't looked at the draft class. Yeah, I don't know what yeah. the center class looks like, so I don't know if that's a realistic or I don't know if that's a good use of draft capital based on what the class looks like. But I would say they're probably looking for a center, de depending on what happens with Lindsley. But based on the general lack of information um, or progress, I would say somewhere in the first three rounds, most likely for sure. Uh, but they have a lot of needs. I mean, they're going to need probably another edge rusher. They're going to need a corner. Um, they've, they've got a lot of needs. So first round, I don't know. I guess it depends on who's there and what the class looks like, but definitely in the first three rounds. I say no. Sorry, yeah. go ahead, Craig. Cool. Um, go for it. Go uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I say no. Uh, drafting uh, center in the first round is, while it's a going to be a big need if whatever's happening with Lindsley uh, ends up being long-term. Um, drafting centers in the first round has turned out to be bad uh, news for the teams that have done it. I know uh, a lot of people will point to Travis Frederick, but that was a long time ago. It's like, um, after that, it's like Cam Irving, it's Ryan Kelly, it's uh, Frank Ragnow, it's Billy Price, it's Cesar Ruiz. I remember doing this last draft process. And like the guys that end up going in the first round, a couple of them I actually really, really liked, um, didn't turn out to be as good as you'd hope, especially with that first round capital. So I would say no, uh, one, because it's not going to be their biggest need while well, it is going to be a big need. And also uh, first round centers have not panned out um, as good as teams had hoped. And I also haven't looked at any draft guys yet. Um, so I, I don't I don't know. But right now I'm saying no. It's interesting. You threw a couple names out there, and Caesar Ruiz uh, was drafted by the Saints in the first round. I don't even think he's playing center anymore. I think he's guard. <laughs> he's the guard, so, yeah. I mean, with that being said, also you have to consider where the Chargers will be picking in the first round, right? So at this point, I don't think they're going to completely go off 
the hill and be top 10. They're always somewhere in that middle ground, though. And you're telling me you might want to spend a 15 to 20-ish pick on a center when there might be more premium positions available? I wouldn't do that unless you had, like, additional picks early on. You can maybe throw one at it, but even then, probably still later. Um, I would be looking at no earlier than the second round for a center, just myself personally, for my preference. Um, again, I haven't looked at this draft class, so I don't know if it's top-heavy, but just like Jamie mentioned, uh, I don't think anyone's – I know people are looking at cornerback, and I did actually glance at the cornerback class this year, and it's very, very top-heavy. Um, if you don't get one of those top two or three guys, then there's just like a long list of dudes that aren't really separating from each other. But they could realistically need an edge, like an immediate <laughs> edge. Because if you consider what we thought we were going this year, you probably just assumed that Thule was going to be max replacement. But we have no idea what's going to happen with Joey. And there's a world where neither one of them are around. And then you have to replace them now with a brand new edge rusher. So edge could be very, very high on that list, maybe even higher than corner. But all within the first three rounds, I do think center falls in there. But I, I just can't imagine doing it in the first. I know I know it's only week seven, but the Chargers currently hold the number nine draft pick just for anybody that's wondering where we're at in terms of the tankathon for the Chargers <laughs> <laughs> for 2024. Um, all right, Cruz wants to know, was this Kellen Moore's fault due to the second half scoreless half? Said half twice there, but the scoreless second half. I'd have to watch the film to see. Uh I'm gonna I'm gonna say maybe partially on Kellen and maybe partially on, on Herbert, uh for some of the lack of reads and throws. Um they were just out of sync. They were out of sync. They were not executing uh, too many missed opportunities. So um, ju judging by the way he called the rest of the game, I would say Moore was probably dialing up plays that were working on some level and maybe Her Herbert wasn't seeing them. Um, so maybe 50-50, Herbert and Moore. Mm -hmm. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah. Um, you got to give more. Uh, he, he's got some culpability in this just based on the level of play calling that went on in the second half. I think they fooled themselves in the running game because it was largely successful. I think they averaged as a team over five yards a carry. Um and I think in scenarios where they found themselves in short down and distance, they assumed that since they had been mostly successful in the running game, they could pull it out. But I think the Chiefs kind of played into that also. And so they were ready to counteract. I don't think Kellen got clever enough on those specific um, like third and shorts. He just went for the conservative play call and it came back to bite him because they were also doing this in the negative portion of the field in their own territory. So Staley couldn't go Staley, or at least he wasn't willing to do it and go for it on fourth down um, and two or three um, at their own 40 or, you know, behind that point on the field. So I think Kellen Moore kind of backed himself in a corner because the running game being as good as it ended up being today. And a lot of that had to do with like a 75 yard, I'm not 75 yard run, a 49 yard run by Kelly. So the numbers look a little bit better because of that. Maybe load them into a false sense of confidence in the run game. And it just didn't work to their advantage when he tried to pull it out. And then, yeah, you've got to put blame on Herbert because he's just missing throws that we thought he had grown into making more of. We've seen it. Like we've seen him develop and start making throws that he wasn't making year one and two. And now it's just, he's taking a step back. And again, 
not giving any passes to him, making any excuses for it. There's a number of reasons why I'm sure that um, contribute to that, but they're both to blame here, both of them. Yeah, for sure. I'll throw on the offensive line a little bit too. Uh, they kind of caved at the end of that game. Herbert had to take too many sacks towards the end. Um, felt like uh, Spagnolo adjusted in the second half, really shut the door. Kellen Moore couldn't open it up, and uh, Herbert was just – not good in the second half. So I think there's a lot to go around. You could put the receivers in there too, but yeah, yeah. It's Cal Moore's fault. It's Herbert's fault. It's, you know, everybody on the offensive side, really, it feels like. Um, next up is slim. What realistically needs to happen for the chargers to fire both Staley and Telesco. Let me give you a hypothetical chargers finish nine and eight. They just missed the playoffs. Does Telesco and, Staley both get fired. Do they keep one and not the other? And if so, who? What's what's your answer, Craig? We always find ourselves in these scenarios, right? The charges are middling, and there's an explanation as to why. So you can blame injuries. Let's say they get on a run to end the season, and you can justify giving the coaches another chance. Um, in order for both of them to get canned, it would have to take the bottom falling out for the remainder of the year. Um, do I think one goes as opposed to the other? I've recently started feeling more and more like I could see a world where Telesco sticks around just because he's essentially a middleman and he holds John Spanos's water. Uh, and you may not find very many guys that are able to do it to the degree that Telesco is. Um, and he, John may be comfortable with him in that regard. Um, Staley, I think... I can't still I can't see Staley coming back for a fourth year. I, I just I can't see it. I can't see the justification in it. Even if they play close towards the end of the year, just barely missed the playoffs, you still have a coach who's uh the name of his game is defense and he's not produced for three, four years. So uh you, you can't give a pass to that. That's your calling card. You haven't been able to do it. You haven't helped to further develop Justin Herbert because you're also a former quarterback. So you had that going for you. So you're not completely off of the hook for that side of the game. But um, yeah, that's what I think. I think it's probably Staley over Telesco, but both of them to go, it would have to be like a complete like fallout for the remainder of the year. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I don't think it needs to fall out right now. I feel like the Chargers missed the playoffs and they're both gone. I feel like they're both tied. I felt like it from the beginning of the season. I feel like if they don't make the playoffs with all the expectations, with the players they put in place to make this run for the last couple of years now, they went in all in in Staley's plan two off seasons ago. They put it all together. They wanted some results. They got to a playoff, had a historically bad collapse last year, and then they missed the playoffs the next year when they are supposed to be even better than last. I think – with the expectations and the way this organization runs. I just think both of them are gone. They start over new GM, new head coach. Uh, if they finish nine and eight and they're anywhere near the playoff picture. Yeah. I said they just missed, especially if they make a run late at the end four or five games in a row. Damn it, Jimmy. They're both keeping their jobs. <laughs> That's such a Spanos thing because oh. We're Look, building off the end, the momentum we had. Totally. We had a winning record. Two or three plays go our way. We make the playoffs. If you get in, you never know what happens. Anything can happen. Mm -hmm. And they kept Mike McCoy after a 5-11 and 11 season, and they kept Anthony Lynn after a 5-11 and 11 season in year three. So this has to go completely off the rails mm -hmm. for them to fire both but it probably has to go completely off the rails for them to fire Staley. He's going to be back for year four unless they don't win the rest Staley? of the way. Yeah. Okay. They, they're not going to fire him and pay him to sit at home. It's just not how they operate. So um, he's, he's going to have to finish like something crazy, you know, four and 13, three and 14, it's going to have to get embarrassingly bad to where they're getting blown out and they're becoming a laughing stock like Lynn was at the end of his last year for them to fire Staley before year four. That's, that's my expectation. And, and Telesco, I mean, John Spanos needs somebody to push him on the merry-go-round while he's playing NFL 
exactly. We need somebody behind and push them on the swing set. So <laughs> uh, they they play real good in the sandbox together, and John John gets a mean cup of coffee, or Tom gets a mean cup of coffee. Mm. So I think if it goes completely off the rails, they both get fired. I think if it doesn't go completely off the rails, there's a chance maybe Staley stays and Telesco goes, but I think they both probably stay. Okay. How do you guys, and let's fire these off pretty quick because we're uh, coming towards the end here. How do you guys think Bosa will be remembered by Chargers fans? Is it going to be the uh, penalties that are going to come back, the boneheaded offsides penalties he has, or is it going to be that he's one of the better pass rushers in Chargers history? Uh, I think fans have mostly already soured on him. It's going to be the injuries and the penalties. Mm. Not being available more than anything. Right there, uh, pretty much the exact same sentiments is going to be that he was injury riddled and he cost the team, potentially cost the team a couple games. So um, not what you thought he was coming out of Ohio State in those first few years and the excitement beside um, behind that and being one of the top edge rushers in the league. These last few years have sullied it. I, I think with time, people will remember Bosa for the pass rusher he was. I feel like this feels like Chris Dealman to me. Remember like Dirty Dealman? Like people hated Dealman for a long time and they didn't think he played very clean and he had penalties all the time. And I swear if I don't hear like, man, we need Dirty Dealman again on this line when they were having uh, O-line issues. I mean, fans are back on his side and he, he always kind of towed that line a little bit. Bosa not outright as dirty as Dealman was. So I say they, they remember him as, as a good pass rusher eventually. I think all that goes away eventually. I don't know, man. You don't know? I don't know. <laughs> right now I it just, doesn't feel like it, but. He came in with a negative taste in everybody's mouth because of the but whole But look out. how quick he turned it around. Yeah, he and now it's him. flipped on its head. He melted down on the playoffs last year. I... I don't know. I and to add to that, like with Merriman, people turned on him, and now people love him yeah. because of the personality and the visibility. Joey's going to go away, and he's probably going to disappear. Oh yeah. And there was no personality to tie to him. We never really got to know him outside of seeing him melt down in the playoffs last year. So I think it's going to be really hard for him to be remembered fondly, just because. We don't know him, and our last images of him are going to be he's hurt on the sideline or he's, you know, throwing a hissy fit on the sideline when things don't go his way. Mm. It's a sandwich with stale bread, man, top and bottom. Like, he came in on a bad foot, and he may end up leaving the same way. In the middle, you got some good. But outside of that, um, ultimately, and when you're talking about offensive linemen like Dillman, you want your offensive linemen to kind of be rugged, kind of maybe a little dirty. Like, you respect that in the trenches that way. With Joey, it's more of uh, just not playing very smart football and letting his emotions get the best of him and potentially costing the team in that way. I think just based on the position, there are different expectations that come along with that. So it might affect how you view him going forward. Okay. All right. Um, somebody asked that I lost the question, but what do you guys, what are the odds that Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are back in 2024? Zero? Yeah. Zero. Okay. Um, how many percent is Mike Williams going to be back? Very low. Because I'm at like 15, 20. I was going to say less than 10. I was going to say oh. 10. I was going to say okay. 10. All right. So I say 15, 10, and then less than 10. Okay. Keenan? I think Keenan stays. Mm -hmm. I would say like 85, 90% he stays. Yeah. Barring like him getting hurt and missing most of the season or him forcing his way off the roster because he has a meltdown on Staley or something. I think he's back. Yeah. And I mean, he's already been spoken of as a lifer for the Chargers. Like they want to keep him around. They literally came out and said that that doesn't mean they have to stick to it, but I don't recall the last player they did that with at least a skilled player. Should I say? Okay. Now Chris defer Fazardo. How they turn the season around and make the playoffs? What? Give me a percentage of can they turn this around? Because we, they just got to be good. They can turn it around. If what? What's the percentage? I actually, 
saw today that with a loss today, they moved down to 13%. That's the literal answer. But yeah, I, I would say like maybe 33%, something yeah, like that. 35. Damn, we were just in the neighborhood. Craig, are you around there or are you lower? 25 to 30%, just because I have a feeling they're going to do what the Chargers always do and they'll find some way to get on a bit of a run later in the season and just barely make it as a wild card. Like it'll, you know, this is the Chargers. Craig, you know this person? It's my dad, man. <laughs> he came to the he came on live. Yes. What's up, Pop? Oh, what up? <laughs> Mr. And Mrs. Smith. We yeah, love yeah. you. Both of them checking it out. Yeah. Oh, we love and dad. You Thank you very much. Welcome to watching me suffer live. What a what a <laughs> perfect way to end this. Mom and dad support. Nothing better than that. Love you guys. Thanks for tuning in. And uh he, Craig's a good dude, so you raised a good one. He's Thanks, okay. guys. Yeah. <laughs> I, have my, I have my moments. <laughs> I tried. I tried, Mr. And Mrs. Smith. I really tried. All right. Well, we're out of here. We hit over an hour. We appreciate you guys coming in uh, with a loss like this. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it would have been easier with a one-score game or not, but uh, I think we all kind of checked out midway through that fourth quarter knowing how it was going to end, and you guys still tuned in. Uh, we had a really, really good turnout. So thanks, guys. Uh, we appreciate you guys. Make sure you subscribe everywhere, follow us, and we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Salute. Snap.